calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello, this is Dennis McLevy, and I'm here at CFA Institute interviewing Rich DeMung, a professor of finance at the University of Virginia. This is the first in a series of webcasts on market risk and the subprime fallout. Uh, Rich, I'd like to start thinking about mortgage securitization. It's a topic that we have in the CFA program. And I'd like to uh, see if you can just give us some general background and definitions. Mortgage-backed securities that you talked about are a huge part of the market, uh, by some estimates over $6 trillion. The mortgage-backed securities were developed as a way of, in effect, allowing the lenders to take some of the assets off their balance sheet uh, and, and, in effect, bring in fresh monies, which then can be lent out to individuals or uh, any type of borrowers. And, and this is a market that has grown very rapidly in the last two decades. And, and, and it has enabled the uh, mortgage business to become uh, much greater than it was in, 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 uh, 20 years ago. And on top of the mortgage-backed securities, we now have collateralized debt obligations, which are a much smaller uh, total dollar amount. Um, but the collateralized debt obligations split up the cash flows from mortgages or from any debt instruments, but for a moment we'll focus on mortgages. And, 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 and so what a, a lending institution can do um, is to sell the mortgages um, through a mortgage-backed security or, in effect, uh, an investment bank can pool a series of mortgage-backed securities and split the cash flows so that the investors that want just uh, a low-risk investment will get the first cash flows, and then investors that are willing to take more risk for a higher return, a higher yield, uh, will take the last cash flows that come in. And so you could split them up so that, and, and divide it in the cash flows so that some investors can have, in effect, a AAA-rated security, and some... Uh, double A, triple B, double B, and then and we'll call the triple A, we'll call it senior debt, and then the um, middle ranks we'll call mezzanine, and then the folks that take the most amount of risk, that is the possibility, the greater possibility of, 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 of having more mortgages that default, uh, call junior debt, or some folks call them high yield debt, but a junior debt issue. So you can split the cash flows, and so that when a mortgage a borrower decides to prepay the loan, the prepayments will first go to the AAA uh, slice, and we'll call those tranches. Uh, tranches, and, and so you'll have a whole series of uh, tranches. And if they're rated correctly, then the folks that want a low-risk investment can buy the AAA, and the folks that are willing to take more risk 
for the promise of higher return uh, can buy the junior. Okay, so I'm selling tranches or classes, and I'm the go-between. How am I making money? Well, as the investment bank that's putting together the collateral debt obligation, they're collecting a fee for putting it together so that, in effect, part of the interest that's being paid by the borrower, part of that is going to the investment bank that puts together the CDO, and so they're making a fee for that transaction. And, and what it does is it brings in cash flow that's now available um, for other investments. So in effect, it opens up the mortgage market so that uh, more investors, including European, Asian, Middle Eastern investors, can buy into a CDO and thus finance, um, indirectly at least, finance the U.S. mortgage market. So it's opened it up opened up a tremendous amount of liquidity that we did not have before. And swaps get involved between the assets and the liabilities here? Exactly. And, 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 and the, the pricing of the CDOs gets a little bit tricky, and therefore the pricing of the swaps gets tricky. To, um, because you're trying to price some assets that don't have a secondary market, or as not, perhaps not as well-established secondary market. So the pricing gets um, tricky, and the rating um, is, 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 is somewhat difficult because with mortgages, you always have to uh, be worried about the prepayments. When are the prepayments going to come in? And that's the borrower's decision. I can decide to refinance my debt or I can move earlier than I planned. And so likely you're going to have a shorter maturity than, than you expected. Rich, can we put some definitions on the table? Uh, in particular, I'm interested in CDOs and uh, structured investment vehicles. We're really defining three different things. The mortgage-backed securities are they, uh, uh, have gone back the longest, and they were uh, originally started by the various lenders, uh, typically savings loans and banks, and now uh, non-bank lenders. And, and it was a way of of, in effect, replacing the asset, the mortgages that they had granted and with cash, bringing in cash, which then can be used for making more mortgages or lending to anyone else. Um, and the CDOs are um, debt obligations that are collateralized by, and it could be a pool of mortgages or it could be a pool of mortgage-backed securities, um, and, and, and what you're doing with the CDO, uh, the investment bank is, is uh, uh, bringing in the interest from the mortgages and then paying slightly lower interest to the buyers of the CDOs. And, and, and again, it gives you a chance to split up the, the investors uh, into the various risk classes so that Investors can get the risk that they're willing to, to tolerate. And then on top of that, the third uh, instrument that you mentioned are the structured investment vehicles. And they work a little bit differently. With a structured investment uh, vehicle, the um, issuer of that instrument is typically borrowing on the short term uh, and lending uh, to a longer mortgage. Um, 
or a pool of mortgages or a pool of other debt instruments. They, you know, we're talking about mortgages, but it could be any debt instrument. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so you're playing on the spread between short-term rates and long-term rates. And typically the term structure curve, short-term rates are lower than long-term rates. And so you're playing that spread with the uh, structured investment vehicle. So. Okay, there's lots of slicing and dicing of risk. And you've done uh, quite a bit of research on the subprime mortgages which are behind this. Can you give us a little explanation of this, uh, the trends in that area? Well, the amount has been phenomenal growth of subprime starting in the very late 90s. But most of the growth was in 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005. And subprime mortgages were mortgages that were given to folks who had either a blemished credit record or they weren't willing to give you their credit record. Uh, we were lenders were making subprime loans to people who said, you know, I'm not going to share with you my tax records. I'm not going to share with you my income. Let me just put a number down. And, and the fascinating thing about the loans that were made, subprime loans that were made in 2005, 2006, is, is more than half of them, uh, in some estimates, 60% of the subprimes in 2005, 2006, were the folks misestimated their income by more than 50%. They overestimated their income by more than 50%, which is really fascinating. But the lenders were not asking for that documentation. And you say, well, why not? I mean, that's classic. Well, because they were able to raise a huge amount of money, over a trillion dollars was coming in from foreign investors into U.S. securities, total U.S. securities in those years. And so there was a huge amount of money moving in to the U.S. markets, and lenders were able to borrow at a relatively low rate, not only low because our historical interest rates were low during the 2004, 2005, and, and the beginning of 2006, but also because the credit spread above treasuries was very low. And it partially was a function of the huge amount of liquidity that was coming in. Well, unfortunately, folks that lied about their income um, weren't as likely to pay back their loan as the traditional borrower, so the default rates went up dramatically. And, and some of the 2005, 2006 subprimes were seeing default rates of 15% or more of the borrowers. And it's partially a function of the fact that many folks were borrowing without the ability to repay the loan. But nobody asked them, if, can you really repay it? Well, that raises the issue of the, uh, the role of the central bank in all of this and also the question of the shadow banking system. Can you discuss that? Well, one of the problems we have today is that uh, the Federal Reserve no longer, or any central bank, no longer has much control because the funds are flowing from investors directly to investment banks or through investment banks to various lenders. And, and so we have a huge amount of liquidity that is no longer under the purview of, of, of any central bank and in the U.S., we regulate uh, banks and certain non-bank institutions, but a lot of it is not directly regulated by the Federal Reserve or FDIC. And so you have a huge amount of money moving in and out, which is not controlled by the Federal Reserve, and it's probably making the Federal Reserve job much more difficult. Part of um, the liquidity issue is uh, the question of the amount of trust throughout the system. 
Can you discuss this idea of trust in the system? Well, and, and, and you're raising an interesting point. One of the things that happened in August of 2007 is that trust was undercut. We started to see the delinquencies of adjustable rate subprimes go up in January of 2005. The market really didn't pick up on that until earlier in 2007. In late July, early August, uh, we were starting to see a large number of the uh, various collateralized debt obligations uh, being downgraded because uh, uh, there were some real questions about the level of defaults. They were much higher than anyone had predicted. And that trust was almost instantaneously broken. And, and what happened is investors around the world said, hey, I'm not buying any of that paper. I'm just going to stop. I don't know which is good, which is bad, so I'm just not going to buy any of it. And, and that's the, uh, what led to the liquidity crisis in the U.S., because many of these investment banks had bought all these mortgages or at least had made the loans to the lenders for those uh, with the expectation of being able to easily resell them as mortgage-backed securities or collateralized debt obligations, and that market dried up. Uh, it became very difficult to sell any asset-backed commercial paper, the short term, which was the source of at least the short-term financing that was needed to keep the system going. And that trust was broken. And, and it's only starting to be regained. And we still have a huge question about the value of the CDOs that are already outstanding plus the ones in the pipeline. Uh, and, and until that trust is reestablished, until they are repriced, um, you're going to see some of the papers being sold at 50 cents on the dollar, which is what we've seen in the last month and a half. And that leads us to the question of rating agencies. There was a lot of um, misrating that was going on, and I wonder if you could discuss whether there are any conflicts in that it's area. It's a fascinating process because I have to trust a little bit the investment. If I'm a rating agency, I have to trust the investment bank on the quality of the paper underlying it. And, and many of the CDOs had not only mortgages and subprimes, but also had other debt instruments uh, from from credit card receivables to automobile receivables. So you, you, the investment bank's putting all this together. And as a rating agency, I need to look at some of the quality, but remember that we don't really know how much risk is there if the borrower is not even telling us the income that he or she has. And, and, and so the investment banks and the rating agencies were working together and the but the rating agency, in effect, was trusting some of the information. And, and the investors were saying, well, I don't need to look at the quality of the underlying paper because I'll just trust the rating trust agency. The rating, yeah. and, and the question now is, was there due diligence at every level from the investors and the CDOs and the mortgage bank to the rating agencies to the investment bankers? In the next webcast, we'll be discussing moral hazard. Uh, but for now, I'd just like to get an idea of the players in the industry. Uh, can you give us an idea of the demand and supply for mortgage securitization? Subprimes peaked out in 2005 um, at over $600 billion. Um, and, and because of the huge amount of liquidity in the global system, from Asian savers to Middle Eastern companies to Europeans, 
there was almost an unlimited, or it seemed to be an unlimited supply of funds, and and uh, there was almost an unlimited demand for borrowed money because if you're willing to lend to me at a low rate, well, I'm going to buy this condo and plan on selling it in two weeks, or I'm going to try to buy two condos or three or four. And so the demand followed that huge amount of supply of funds, which kept coming into the U.S. market. Um, and now you're seeing difficulties uh, with lenders or uh, you know, investors around the world because they were buying U.S. subprimes and other uh, uh, debt instruments that now we find out had more risk than we thought. The investors were relying on the rating agencies. So do we have subprime in institutional portfolios? Absolutely. And it's, it's across the board. It, it, and, and, and I don't even know how much of that CDO is subprime versus prime mortgages. And, 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 and so the whole system is uh, uh, backing up now because of the questions about what's in there. You know, I, it, it, I trusted the rating agencies, and yet I find that some of the CDOs that were issued in spring of 2006 have already defaulted. Some of the AAAs are now rated at triple B, and the market is not buying them at all. Um, and so we're seeing a, a, a vast downgrade, first by the investors not buying and then prices dropping, and now we're seeing the rating agencies drop the rating as well. Uh, sometimes it's after it's already defaulted. Thank you for joining us today on this webcast. This is the first in a series of webcasts on market risk and the subprime fallout. In future webcasts, we'll be looking at such topics as pricing illiquid securities, as well as the role of hedge fund demand for equity tranches in CDOs. Copyright 2007, CFA Institute. No part may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, recording, or otherwise, without the express prior written permission of CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.